0: last week the yoga alliance released their long-awaited new standards for entry-level teacher trainings there are a lot of changes and i know that many of you are curious about how it will affect you and your business so i asked yoga alliance ceo shannon roche to come on the podcast to answer some questions before we jump into that a few clarifications that we don't get into in the interview I want to make sure everyone knows that the new standards do not go into effect immediately current schools need to be updated By their 2021 renewal month, so that gives them at least a year and a half to update their curriculum. If you're planning to start a new school, on the other hand, you will need to apply under the new curriculum after February 2020, so that is coming up pretty soon. For teachers who don't run trainings and don't plan to, not much will change at this point. There's a new ethics policy that you'll need to sign on to and a free online equity training that you'll need to take in order to register or renew with the Yoga Alliance. But otherwise your training is still valid with them, even if you haven't registered in the past. As long as the school you attended was in good standing at the time of your training, you can register any anytime. Or not register. I've invited them onto the podcast because I know a lot of my listeners are interested in this conversation, but I am not by any means endorsing registration or participation with them. I would also love to have some opposing voices on here, so stay tuned for that. A brief note on the quality of this interview, on the sound quality. I recorded it overseas, I'm away from my usual equipment, and the sound quality on my end is inconsistent. On the positive side, Shannon's sound is better than mine, and I believe the whole thing is understandable. So thank you for your patience with the quality, because I wanted to get this to you as quickly as I could. You'll also note that the interview is a bit longer than I usually do, than I like to do. I've provided some timestamps in the show notes for the different topics that we address, so you can jump to your areas of interest if you don't want to listen to the whole conversation. On that note, I don't want to take up any more time with this intro, so let's jump right into the conversation. I would love to begin, if you don't mind, with your definition of yoga.
1: Yeah, of course. You know, um, that is is—it's going to sound like a funny thing to say, but in this seat, that's a little bit of a loaded question. <laughs> um I want to be careful to just be clear that, you know, that my answer is, is my definition, not the organization's definition. Um, And I'll sort of go into, I think one reason for that is obvious, but also there's, there's some more, um, some more to share on that point. You know, there is, there's a lot that I could say, but I think the short, um, succinct version is, you know, for me, yoga is really about, um, about community. Uh, more than anything else, you know, I think we hear a lot about the idea that, you know, yoga is meant to mean union. For me, that, that is, in a lot of ways, really central for me. Um, I think one of the things, you know, there's, there's a lot that I could say about the, you know, the idea of about sort of balance and quieting the mind and all of the things that we talk about and that we know. Um, but, but at the end of the day, for me, all of that comes back to, the idea of building and being part of a community. Um, so that's that's really the short version, um, but there's a lot more to say about that. We actually, organizationally, um, are going to be convening a sort of community-wide conversation about exactly this question. Um, it's something that's come up over and over and over again, as you can imagine, um, and in particular, as we looked at the standards and kind of thought about what is it that we are trying to solve for, really, at the end of the day. Um, and one of the things we decided was that it is not Yoga Alliance's place by any stretch of the imagination, never has been, I think never will be, to define yoga. Um, but it, we do have a role to play in kind of bringing the community together to, to have that conversation among themselves, um, which I'm really excited about. So <laughs> which was one of my reasons for, for being specific about, you know, my definition versus the organization.
0: Right, I think it's important to understand the organization's definition because then it's not because you, the yoga lines will defi- then define yoga for everyone, but in that case, then yoga teachers can evaluate, yes, this is a definition that I wish to support and can stand behind, or you know what, this does not match with my values. So it's about, you know, clarity and who, who is this for and who is this not for, And I think that there is sometimes a sense that if you don't define it, you're trying to be the yoga alliance for everyone, which just like being the yoga teacher for everyone, it doesn't, I don't think it's actually, it actually
1: works. Right, right, exactly. And, and that was a, that was sort of a central conundrum for us, both going into and coming out of the information gathering process of the standards review because we don't think it is an appropriate role for us to define yoga. And yet, right, you're exactly your point. You know, we do at least have to have some parameters around what it is that we're trying to create standards for. Um, And so, you know, it's a little bit, that that is a little bit of a tricky um, spot to identify, uh, if you will. But hopefully, hopefully, um, you know, you can, and we can, I'll go into as much detail as is helpful about this, Hopefully some of that came through in in what we announced last Tuesday.
0: (laughs) And can I also get you to describe a brief version of your history and your experience and what led you to the position you're in now?
1: Oh my gosh, of course. Um, So I originally started practicing yoga in 2000. Um, I was living in New York. I started as lots of people do because my roommate and best friend, the same one who now lives in Europe, um, had gone to a yoga class and brought me along (laughs) Um, and, you know, was first interested because you know, I was pretty, I was pretty pleased with the way that, you know, it was my, my, both my flexibility and body were changing. The The timing was um, coincidental, but uh, I think serendipitous in an unfortunate way in that I started practicing not terribly long before September 11th, um, the September 11th that we all think of happened. And, and uh, really unexpectedly found that, you know, the place I felt most comfortable, most safe, most sort of um, able to figure out what had just happened was on my yoga mat. Um, And so that was kind of the beginning of, you know, what has been the better part of a 20-year practice. Um, I'm not a teacher. I have attended teacher trainings, but I choose not to teach. Um, I hope that that actually serves the community well in that you know, I've got some experience having gone through a teacher training and, and having had that background. Um, so I, I, I hope that I have a sense of where members are coming from, but I'm also in some ways serving from the perspective of the people who are members themselves are serving, right, more of the student and practitioner. Um, and so I think that hopefully informs my, you know, my perspective on the work that we're doing here as well. Um, how I came to this position, sort of a funny story, and I will promise to um, avoid talking politics, but the, my background is related. So I spent 20-ish years, about the same amount of time, um, working in you know, American political organizations, largely nonprofits that were sort of politically oriented. And um, suffice it to say that the 2016 election did not end the way I had been hoping it would, um, I had been in in government, in the administration up until that point, and at the end of it, given kind of the tectonic shift from my perspective that had just happened, I was really looking for a, a different space to be working in um, and originally started thinking, you know, I've, I have spent my time in public service, that 20 years is enough, and I think I'm going to move on and do something completely different and started looking at sort of the business and for-profit community, decided pretty quickly that that was not me or who I am or how I've, you know, I'm best able to serve in the world. And so was looking for an opportunity to continue in sort of public service space, but from a different perspective. Um, and at the time, this organization was looking for a chief operating officer, which was largely the kind of role I had played. And so the combination of you know my my background as a practitioner and my interest in serving but differently <laughs> um, just aligned really nicely for me. I hope that the organization would say the same
0: <laughs> and what inspired you to take the teacher training? Was that part of taking on the role at the yoga alliance?
1: no this was gosh it was before, it was actually before I had kids, so this was at least. 11 years ago, probably more like 12 or 13. Um, so no, it was, again, I think, you know, what, as you hear people often say, it was an interest in deepening my practice. Um, you know, I just, I wanted to study more. I wanted to do more and learn more. And that was the, the route that was available. Um, and, you know, I, I am not, I never have been in any role that I've played. Somebody who feels comfortable in front of the classroom. Um, and so that just, you know, the actual teaching was not what I felt I could do well. Um, but the, the information and the learning and the study was definitely of interest.
0: And for those who haven't yet read over the new standards or who only looked over them briefly, can you summarize the major changes so that we all start this conversation? Cause it's a conversation with you and me and then a few thousand listeners.
1: Absolutely, and you know, to be clear, I know there was a lot of information that we shared um, in last week's announcement. So I think even if someone or people have read you know, every single word of every single page, it's still a lot. So i um, more than happy to, to do a quick summary. You know, I think it's helpful to, to step back one, um, just a little bit in that it, it, to try to understand why we undertook the work and how we tried to approach it. Um, because hopefully those two things are very related to the changes and the outcomes that went out. Um, I joined Yoga Alliance about two years ago. I was um, brought in by David Lipsius, who is the prior CEO, um, who's wonderful and incredible. Um, he, he and I, once we sort of arrived here, realized pretty quickly that, and I think this will come as no great surprise to you probably or potentially many of your listeners, you know, Yoga Alliance's reputation was in need of some rehabilitation. We were looking to try to diagnose why that would be the case, right? Not just that we had, you know, reputational issues, but really what had led to them. Lots of things. <laughs> but, you know, the, the sort of the most, I think, meaningful and most central issue that we identified pretty quickly was that the standards hadn't been Meaningfully updated in a very long time. Um, there was a lot of work done to think about updating them, but for reasons that I won't um, belabor, the organization had made a lot of decisions along the way not to do a lot of that work. And it really seemed like if you know, before we wanted to try to tackle any other concerns or roles that Yoga Alliance could or should play, or other sort of you know facets of our reputation. We sort of decided that if we couldn't get that basic foundational piece of the standards that underlie the credential that is the thing we tend to be known for right, that anything else we could do really would just be, you know, would sort of be meaningless. Um, so that's the, the genesis of the project. We structured, and, and I think, I hope um, that this is equally important, we structured the standards review project itself. To be not just a research project, for example, um, but really to be an opportunity to engage with the community. Um, you know, and our hope was that we that what we finally were, you know, w- would come up with and would publish would be reflective of the input and the wisdom and the thinking of the community that it's intended to serve. Um, so we embarked on a what turned out to be an 18-month-long project, which is, I know, longer than I think any of us had hoped for, myself included. Um, but we felt that that was really important in order to take the time and, and extend the work to involve as many people as we could. So, so given that, <laughs> um, you know, we heard in the course of all the different um, community engagement exercises that we undertook, I think really three primary themes. Um, one was this idea that we needed to update um, and and improve and, and better inform um, the credential itself, and not just that we needed to update the standards, but you know, the second point being that we ourselves needed to do the work um, that would be required and that would go behind actually enforcing them and uh, and you know creating a standard and a set of credentials that had integrity. Um, and then third, really, is it was a almost a call for us to to sort of step more fully into the role of a professional association. Um, I think the sense that we heard in many different ways across all of these conversations was that we had really fallen back over the years on this position that, you know, Yoga Alliance is just, quote unquote, just a registry, and that the community wanted and deserved, frankly, you know, a, a professional association that met its professional needs more fully. Um, and so what I hope you'll see coming out of the, the project is, is a reflection of all of those things, that both the standards are um, you know, more current, more reflective of yoga as it's being practiced and shared today um, than when the organization was founded 20 years ago. A process internally at Yoga Alliance that that really is intended to make sure that that those credentials are in integrity and have the meaning that, you know, we've, we've hopefully infused them with. Um, and finally, uh, you know, slightly separate from but related to um, the, the standards process itself is this idea that, you know, we, we will be looking to play a more meaningful role in supporting teachers in their professional development in ways that are not just about the credential. Does that, kind of answer your initial question?
0: Well, it answers the background, and you were going to talk about the actual changes.
1: Mm-hmm. The, the actual changes themselves are numerous <laughs> and very, very detailed. Um, what what I would recommend is that for the, the detail level, I think I'd direct folks to our website because some of it really is... Um, you know, really does require sort of a close look at some of the changes. Broadly, what I would say is a few a few highlights. Um, we decided, and this this was, as you can imagine, a um, long and I don't think heated is the right word, but long and charged conversation. Um, we decided that before we could consider whether or not we should sort of be increasing the requirements in the standard that the first thing we needed to do to this question of integrity was really make sure that if people were calling their programs 200 hours that they really mean 200 hours right and so one significant change that we've made that you'll see reflected is that we've eliminated the, the distinction between quote-unquote contact and non-contact hours and so now, the requirement um, for any 200-hour program is that any of the 200 hours in question be instructional hours, um, and that they be in, with trainers in in the um, in the curriculum, if you will. We've also updated significantly the the core curriculum. So previously, we had had five very broadly defined educational categories that we asked schools to fit those 200 hours into. Um, we have now more clearly identified rather than five categories, four, and within those four categories, we've identified competencies that we are asking schools to make sure that anybody who goes through a Yoga Alliance registered school program would have uh, familiarity and comfort with, right? So we're not, we're absolutely not looking to tell schools how to teach or what to teach, but we are asking schools to make sure that, if they're registered with Yoga Alliance, that the students coming out of their programs can have a facility with some basic yogurt concepts um, that we've identified.
0: So are you advising schools to fail students if they don't meet these competencies?
1: It's a good question. Um, we are, so, and it's a great segue, the other primary change that we made is that we are requiring schools when they apply to be registered with Yoga Alliance to identify their plan for assessing their students' competencies um, before graduating them. One of the things that we heard over and over and over again through this um, engagement and input gathering process was almost a, a request from school owners, from school directors to help them identify, or I shouldn't say identify, to help them clarify this the, the, the pressure that they were feeling around the idea that if someone has paid to attend a program, they then are required to be graduated. Um, We heard that from school owners again and again and again, that they didn't want to be in that position, but they really felt the economic pressure. Um, And so one of the things that we're hoping to do with this requirement of assessment is to give school owners the permission to say, you should assess students' competencies um, before you graduate them and send them out into the world to teach you can assess their competencies in a way that is appropriate for you as a school. Uh, We're not gonna tell you how to do that specifically, but we are going to say, you know, these are the 13 competencies that the community has identified as sort of baseline and shared. Um, And we'd ask that you figure out whether or not your students are meeting those. So long story short, yes.
0: (laughs) And the the other major changes in the prerequisites for teaching in the training,
1: Correct. Mm, Exactly. So the other major change that we're making is the significant increase in the requirements for lead trainers, both on their own um, experience and expertise, and also in how much of a teacher training program is run by lead trainers. And again, this is, um, you know, direct answer to something that rose up through this community input process. And in particular, in response to teachers that have been teaching a, a long, long time, um, that, you know, they're, they were concerned that people were teaching without a depth of experience and knowledge, and that that obviously wasn't serving the students well, and frankly, wasn't serving the teachers well either, that they just weren't well prepared for those roles. Um, and so, we are increasing the lead trainer requirements. We are also, and this is work to come, we are going to be figuring out and looking at creating a process for alternative pathways um, for people to meet those requirements. You know, we're clear that um, there hasn't been an incentive for someone to shift from, you know, for example, an ERYT 200, which is what's currently required to be a lead trainer to an ERYT 500 in the past. And so there are a lot of people who are highly qualified who may not hold that credential right now. So for us, the next set of work will come around figuring out what those alternative pathways are, um, so that we're not, you know, unduly burdening people who are extremely well qualified already, but just may not have those letters after their name. Um, We wanted to make sure that we gave that piece of work the time that it needed. As you can imagine, it's um, it's quite detailed (laughs) and will require a lot of attention. And so that's next on our list to come.
0: In the frequently asked questions on your website it says that you plan to announce this alternative pathway, which we can also call call grandfathering, correct? Mm -hmm. Is that an accurate term? Okay, Um, that you plan to announce them in the near future. And I'm curious about some kind of definition for near future,
1: so we are starting a set of task forces of which this will be one of the topics um, the week after the July 4th holiday. So about 10 days from now, as soon as that task force begins its work, I'll have a better, more specific answer to that question. My hope is that, you know, that we're able to to announce a definitive set of alternative pathways within the next few months, you know, let's say before Halloween. Um, but I'm I'm intentionally being slightly unspecific because we think that this is going to be a set of work that sort of generates some unforeseen roadblocks, right? And it's just, there are a lot of, <laughs> of variables in what one would consider as an alternative pathway or it needs to be considered as part of whether you qualify for that, um, for example. And so, you know, we have a timeline that we've laid out for our work, I'm anticipating that there will be some sort of speed bumps in that timeline. And so I don't want to overpromise promise um, and then under deliver. Having said that, you know, it's become, we knew going into the announcement and, and it has become very clear very quickly that this is one of the pieces that people need an answer to as soon as possible. Um, and so it's, it is really front of mind for us and we're going to move as fast as we can.
0: I'm curious. In your, all the work you've done, I'm sure you've been trying to anticipate what the outcome of these new changes are going to be. Who do you think these changes are going to impact the most?
1: Hmm, that's a great question. My hope is that they really mostly impact in a positive way um, yoga practitioners and yoga students. You know, our, our hope in doing this was that and again, you know, reflective of what we heard from the community, that the credentials would be able to be seen as a marker of high-quality instruction, safety, um, you know, in a classroom equity, or at least a, a sense of uh, the various causes of inequity or unwelcoming in various classrooms. And, um, and so, obviously, I think all of those changes and all of those, those facets will impact the teacher significantly. Um, but really, at the end of the day, our hope was that anybody who would be interested in potentially exploring a yoga practice would be able to look at our credential and see, oh, okay, I know, I kind of, I have a sense of what this teacher or this school is offering me. Does that make sense? It
0: does, except it doesn't really jive with this whole, and and I know that it's an impossible situation, it doesn't jive with the whole, well, you decide what you teach, Every different school is going to decide what they teach and what's important to them. That's what makes the Yoga Alliance registration not have the consistency that I'm hearing you say that you would like to have. And and I think that you've heard from a lot of teachers that they would like. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, I, I hear that. I don't want to, I don't think anybody wants Yoga Alliance and, and we don't want to be in the business as, as we started, you know, the conversation by saying of defining yoga. There are a near infinite number of lineages and traditions and, um, sort of ways of exploring a practice that, you know, it's not up to me to, to say are valid or not. valid. <laughs> you know, I don't, I, I'm not, uh, we want to be careful to honor everybody's lineages and, and traditions um what I do think is a very appropriate role for us, and hopefully we've you know come closer to clarifying, is that we are putting forward a credential that stands for you know a sort of baseline set of parameters around how teaching or or how instruction is offered, right not necessarily the content um, but the, the the process and the parameters around it, right So I think, it is fair and appropriate um, for someone to be able to look at our credential and know, for example, that if they are planning, if they're they're deciding among teacher training programs, that a teacher training program with a Yoga Alliance credential has a whistleblower policy, for example, right? Or has, you know, sort of basic good business policies, like a refund policy, so that if something goes awry, you know, they have some protection. What we don't want to do is get into the business of saying, this yoga is good. This yoga is bad. (laughs) You know, I think the content really does belong with a teacher and with the school.
0: Yeah. I'm curious though, and this is not something that I had thought of prior to this conversation. So it may not come out super clearly, but I wonder if maybe that means that there need to be multiple certifying bodies for yoga and maybe it's not possible to have one organization that does the certifying, that there can be an organization that fulfills the original vision of unity in yoga, to bring all those certifying bodies together, perhaps for you know, fighting regulation or some other mission, but maybe not certifying if there's discrepancy in values and worldview among the different schools.
1: A couple of thoughts there, and one clarification, just because people, um, myself included, it, it, it is confusing language. We are not, we're not a certifying body. The teachers, I'm sorry, not the teachers, the schools are the certifying entities. We're a credentialing agency, um, which sounds semantic, but actually has meaningful differences in, you know, in sort of the governmental space and in the, in the certifying space. Uh, so just to clarify, so school certified, we credential. I think what you've described in some ways is actually what, what we have right? I mean, if you think about, um, you know, for example, INAUS, right? INAUS is its own entity and it governs um, INGAR as a lineage in the U.S. in addition to the sort of work that we do in the regulatory and um, almost like the infrastructure space, right? And so actually, i totally totally with you. <laughs> I think, I think you, you sort of pointed in the direction that we're trying to flesh out a little bit.
0: I get the sense that part of this PR problem slash what, how did you describe it earlier?
1: Uh, Reputational concern. (laughs)
0: Reputational concern. Yeah. Part of this, I think comes from yoga Alliance, not being willing to take a stand and say, these are our values. This is what we stand for. And trying to please everybody. You end up pissing a lot of people
1: off. I totally agree. Um, And I think, you know, prior to, you know, in my case, two years ago, um, when, when the administration changed and we started this project, that really was the organization's stance in a lot of ways. Um, you know, and I think we heard it and frankly still hear it as this position that Yoga Alliance took all the time, which was, you know, we are just a registry, right? We're not, um, that is the limit of what you can expect from us. And that is the limit of what we will do. We will provide a list of teachers and schools who um, have said that they meet our standards. I think what we're trying to do with this exercise is actually move beyond this idea that we're just a registry and be a little bit more clear about what it is that we stand for. Um, And in this case, and in this moment, I think what what I hope you'll see come through the standards are these ideas of safety and high quality and and equity. But again, I don't, you know, I don't, I think that those are the appropriate role for us to define and to claim. I, I think it would be going too far if we were to say, you know, this way of practicing, this way of thinking about yoga, um, is quote unquote accurate and this one is not, um, more than happy for us, and, I, and I'm and i really looking forward to this, I'm more than happy for us to step into a space where we can kind of host that conversation and better understand from that conversation the diversity of those options. Um, but, you know, I think it's best for us to stick with what do you need to know about how this program is structured. If you want to know more about what this program is teaching, that's sort of you know, your research to do. Does that make sense?
0: It does, yeah. And um, I want to kind of circle back through a different angle of this question, which is about the values of the Yoga Alliance itself. Because as an organization, people come and go and then the winds change and people do great work and then that great work gets undermined or overrun. And so it's really important for an organization and to have some principles that are set in stone that members can look at and say, yes, I want to be a a, a part of an organization where these are the guiding principles, this is what guides every decision, or no, this isn't a match for me. So what are those principles and where can members
1: find them? I'll offer you two um, permutations of that. Organizationally, broadly. uh, We have identified five guiding values. Um, Those are integrity, inclusion, unity, inquiry, and SEVA. And those are driving the organization as a whole, and they were um, approved by the board. So to your point of you know, sort of leadership or staff coming and going. Um, the hope is that because these have been approved by the board, which is, you know, intended to be the stable entity, um, that they will be carried throughout. And I, I and I really actually have to give credit to the Yoga Lands board here. You know, we, I sort of nodded to this earlier, In halfway through this process, um, we actually had a leadership transition that was unanticipated. Um, my predecessor, David Lipsius, had some um, family, unexpected family responsibilities that he had to attend to and, and ended up having to move. Um, and credit to the board for really sort of staying the course through through the process, um, which I think in prior versions of this organization or in other organizations would not be a given. <laughs> um, and to making sure that those values continue to drive the process. So that those are the five values that drive the organization. Specifically with this project, we actually identified guiding principles that helped us um, and guided us through the decision-making process around what were going to be the actual changes themselves. You can imagine that, from a year-and-a-half-long set of conversations, we got a lot of input. <laughs> and so, the, you know, just the task of sort of sorting through all of that and figuring out, you know, where were there actionable choices to be made and responsible, actionable choices to be made was a challenge. Um, and so we identified some guiding principles to, to drive that work as well, related to the values, of course, but, you know, slightly more specific. Traditional yogic values um, was sort of front and center through all of it. In addition to that, um, we also identified equity, accountability, and I want to come back to that, um, integrity and balance and stability across the community, um, meaning that we did want to make any necessary changes to drive the kind of um, strengthening of the credential that we've talked about previously, but we didn't want to do it in a way that was going to upend people's businesses um, or frankly people's livelihoods more importantly. But coming back to the accountability piece, because I think it's not necessarily clear in the language, but it was very clear for us in the process that for us also included this idea of self-governance, right? So that it's not just accountability, to Yoga Alliance or from Yoga Alliance to the community, but accountability to each other and to ourselves. And and for Yoga Alliance, that really means and meant that we're cognizant of not stepping too far into that space.
0: And do you have a link for I'm I'm really most interested in the in the values that are stable over time. Do you have a link to that or could you have someone send me a link to that to include in the show notes? I do.
1: It's on our website, but I can't, um, I don't know the actual, you know, specific website URL derivative off the top of my head. I'll get you the the, the specific link. Perfect.
0: And going back to who is going to be impacted. I heard you share the hope that yoga students will be benefited by increased standards at the same time, yoga students, have no idea that this is going on and really could care less. And the people who are very excited about it, for whatever direction they're excited, are yoga teachers. You know, the people who have an RYT 200 and are teaching and are kind of interested in, like, that's all they want to do. They don't really want to train teachers. They're not so impacted either. But it's those who either have ambition to train teachers or who are running yoga schools currently, those are the the people who are going to be most aware of the impact of these new standards. And I wonder what ramifications, what consequences you guys have considered or thought about. For example, do you think prices of trainings are going to increase? Do you think some schools will close? What, what have you guys thought of and, and considered internally?
1: All considered, all of the above. <laughs> um, I think it's always hard to sort of identify unintended consequences, but I think it is notably challenging. And I find it notably challenging to sort of definitively answer that question because we're voluntary, right? And so, and we will remain voluntary, and so it's hard for me to say, for example, that some schools will close. Um, I think it's possible that some schools, if they, you know, don't want to or aren't able to meet the new standards for one reason or another, will simply choose to operate without our credential. Uh, You know, we know that there are schools that do that now, and so I don't, I think it would be maybe a little far to say that they'll close, I do think that it's possible that there will be implications like that. I hope um, that most schools will see value in the changes we've made, and 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 to be perfectly honest, I think a lot of schools already meet the changes that we've made. Um, and so I think in some cases, in a lot of cases, the actual, the, the implications and the changes on the ground may not be all that significant. Um, what I do think is significant will be the change to the value and the credential in that people can look at it and know that it means something. And so if there are a small number of schools who, you know, who who choose not to renew their membership with us because they can't meet those upgraded standards of quality and safety and equity, we're okay with that.
0: (laughs) Sure. Sure. And that might be, um, that might be of benefit to, the potential uh, clients of that school who weren't gonna receive uh, the education that they were hoping for. And that kind of brings me to what you were just saying about meeting and how the standing s- standards are becoming more meaningful. And it seems like what you, I imagine you're referring to is the review panels, because without mm-hmm. those, There's no, you know, there are currently (laughs) anybody who's been in this industry for any amount of time knows that there are lots of schools out there who have written their application to Yoga Alliance in such a way that they have the credential, but aren't actually operating their schools at all the way that their application to Yoga Alliance says. So I'm really curious about the Academic Stout Review Panel. Who's on these panels? What are they reviewing, and what's the procedure if they determine that a school doesn't measure up?
1: Absolutely, um, and I'll add one other element to what you've just outlined, which is you know exactly the changes that we're making to, to our internal processes. In addition to all of that, we are also asking schools to recredential every three years for exactly the reason that you identified, right? That anybody, I think, you know, people, even the most well-intentioned people. Um, can apply and fill out an application and fill it out accurately and honestly today. <laughs> and, you know, 10 years from now, what they're teaching might look different for very valid reasons and in some cases not so valid. Um, so one of the other elements that we've added to the process is this idea of recredentialing every three years. So not, not to necessarily put people through the whole process from, from scratch. But for us to have an opportunity to just kind of take a look and see, you know, how have things changed? Um, does, does your curriculum, does your does your training still meet the baseline standards? Um, and if not, can we work with you so that, you know, so that we can all be on the same page? Um, so as far as the, the process is concerned, you know, and again, I'll start with sort of where we were. The, uh, when I arrived here, the process for credentialing a school or the process for a school applying was to submit an application, work with a credentialing advisor, and um, after about you know on average, I think it was about a month and a half, most schools would have would have been approved through that process of you know, as you've described, working with a credentialing advisor to sort of tweak the way that the application was framed. I don't think that that offers a lot of definition or meaning, right? <laughs> um, So we worked with our, um, with our credentialing team pretty significantly to hear from them, you know, what are the pieces of information that you think would make your, your review and your job more meaningful? You do this all day, every day, you look at, you know, thousands of applications. Um, what are we not asking for that you think would be useful? they came up with a list of um, 20 different elements of information that they would like to be able to see, not all of which we're going to be asking schools for, but a a number of which, for example, um, we were not looking at manuals, we were not looking at schedules, um, we weren't looking at much detail of uh, lead trainers or faculty backgrounds. all of which are very common practices in other credentialing organizations, and I think maybe not too much to ask for, I hope. Um, so we've updated our, our our actual application itself so that we can have a more meaningful set of information to take a look at. And then that information will be reviewed by a panel right now of um, three members of our team, our credentialing team are, um, I wanna fact check this, but I wanna, I, I'm, confident that they are all yoga teachers, all trained yoga teachers. The idea of a panel is to both ensure consistency and fairness, right? So that it's, you know, I think when you're dealing with one person over the course of a month and a half, anybody can have a bad day. That seems pretty unfair. (laughs) Um, So we wanted to make sure that everybody who applied had a, had a fair and thorough review. Um, so that'll be the, that will be the updated new process. And then in addition to that, like I said, every three years, we'll, we'll ask people to just kind of do a check-in as well, every credential.
0: So this is going to, I imagine, slow down the credentialing process? Um, we did a
1: test run, believe it or not, uh, before we announced this. And we're able to find that with some tweaks to our technology and tweaks to our work process, it really didn't. Um, you know, I, I want to acknowledge that we actually, as we speak, we have a backlog of applications. So we know that we, we need to get through those and get answers to people. So I know that we've got some work to do on on our turnaround time. We'll do that. Um, but I actually don't think it's going to slow down our overall process that much, largely because of technology And And just to clarify, a lot of that is going to come from the fact that Two things one um, I think it's, I, I don't think it will come as a surprise to any of your listeners to hear me say that our system for taking in applications is a little clunky and dated. <laughs> we're working on updates to that that we'll release later in the year. And so I think um, when we're able to release those that that in and of itself will remove a lot of that you know clunkiness and datedness that not only impacts teachers but also impacts our staff. Um, So that actually slows them down, and I think we'll we'll not do that any longer. And then the way that the process had been structured previously was that it really did not only allow for, but almost require of our team that they spend this one-and-a-half to two-month period working with anyone who applied to help them kind of understand, you know, what it was that we were asking for and whether or not they met it. We're not going to do that any longer. We're going to um, front load a lot of the answers to the questions that come up through that sort of back and forth over a month or two into the application itself, um, also facilitated by the updated technology, so that our team is spending their time really looking at the content and working with the content and the school owners once they've reached that point in their own thinking rather than spending their time on the phone with people who are kind of just starting to think about a training and coaching them up to how they would be ready to receive a credential. Does that make sense?
0: It sounds like you're saying that your previous process was inefficient because it allowed people who weren't really ready to submit their application to take up a lot of time from your credentialing counselors rather than putting the work back on them and giving them the resources that they would need to figure it all out themselves until they were actually ready.
1: We're not trying to put lots of work back on school owners, um, but we are asking school owners to come to the credentialing process having thought through you know, what it is that they are trying to accomplish with their training that they're developing. In a lot of cases, that was not happening. And to your point, that was leading to a situation that was really inefficient, where our credentialing counselors were spending a lot of time almost business counseling people, right, rather than really looking at the content of the application.
0: And it sounds like you're providing more resources up front, so you're still providing the coaching they need just without the massive investment of human time.
1: Right. So, right. And the the, you know, I don't think that the human time will be reduced, but I think it'll be, you know, reallocated to uh, sort of to thinking more deeply about the the trainings that are coming to us, rather than you know sort of helping people think through just the beginning stages of developing a curriculum, um, and instead pointing them to resources where they can find that.
0: Great. Because my next question is about curriculum. (laughs) I looked over all the changes in the categories and the competencies and most of them really made a lot of sense. I'm a bit curious about the change in shifting philosophy lifestyle and ethics to humanities to so calling that humanities. And part of the reason is that humanities is such a western term that it feels like a really conscious language choice and I'm curious about what you what was the thought process behind that? Why did you choose that term?
1: There, there's actually, you're exactly right. There's a lot that went into it. And for most of that, I want to defer to our vice president of standards, um, who herself has a PhD in yoga um, and so can and loves to speak in eloquent detail <laughs> about a lot of that, um, What? What I'll say sort of at the at the higher level is, you know, I think you, in speaking to the previous category, I think you identified that what for me was problematic about it. I think the term yoga lifestyle um, has taken on a meaning of its own that I would argue is also in some ways quite Western or in, you know, at least in the US has been Westernized and probably doesn't is mean what we that? think it should Um, I think there is, I think that there is a traditional yogic lifestyle that is its own thing, and we can talk about that, you know, in in detail, and actually Chris is a great person to talk about that with as well. The, you know, sort of quote-unquote capital Y, capital L yoga lifestyle in the U.S. I think tends to refer more to sort of Instagram yoga, um, you know, sort of visual asana-based practice. Rather than exactly what you know, we were hoping it would that category would point to, which is kind of the conversation and questions around philosophy and. um, And so I thought, you know, I think we decided that we needed to clarify.
0: Are you saying that people were teaching Instagram under that category, or?
1: No, no, no. no. I'm saying that we felt it was important to clarify the language because, at least for for me, we we have heard that term yoga lifestyle being used in, in ways that don't point to what we would think of as a traditional yogic lifestyle, right? And so we didn't want it being co-opted um, or misunderstood in our categories.
0: Okay. I think the word humanities could also be misunderstood. Not necessarily co-opted so much, but when I look at the educational categories and the competency, I don't see that word humanities really being defined, and for me, um, I there there are these connotations of Western civilization and Western history, and you know, like that sort of academic field with the word humanities. Maybe that's just because. That's what it was like when I took it in college. <laughs> you know, that's what I'm thinking of. It's not really a word that we use in the yoga community. And so that, I think that makes it stand out and that makes it kind of pop of like, well, where's this word coming from? Because we do have this language and this jargon and that's not part of it.
1: Yeah, that's totally fair. Um, thank you. The You know, we have, we have been defining it internally more along the lines of that if you take the philosophy, lifestyle, and ethics, (laughs) sort of take out the, you know, again, capital Y, capital L, uh, in quotes, yoga lifestyle, more in the philosophy and ethics realm. Um, But I think that's a fair critique. I think, you know, we'll, we'll, I'll take this back to the team and see if there isn't anything that we can do to be more clear about it. I don't know that we necessarily would want to change the language soon, given that we've just announced a whole bunch of changes that I feel like people are still digesting, but
0: All right, so this is another curriculum question. In the past, anatomy was defined as both gross anatomy and subtle anatomy, and now subtle anatomy has been moved under the pranayama umbrella, Mm -hmm. which makes the increase in anatomy hours actually a lot more, potentially, depending on how people were teaching it, than it first appears. And I'm just curious about what the thinking was around this, because clearly somebody purposefully put the gross and subtle anatomy together in the beginning, and now somebody purposefully chose to separate them. And so I'm just interested in that thought process.
1: Sure, I think there's a couple of a couple of drivers of that. Um, many, but I'll speak to a couple of them. One is that. You know, a piece of feedback that we heard there there were a handful of things that we heard that were consistent almost entirely, regardless of how long someone had been teaching, you know, where they live, what lineage or tradition they were coming from. One of those, um, and there were only a few, and they were, they sort of screamed from all the feedback loud and clear, as you can imagine. Um, One of those was really that it, teachers are expressing a lot of concern about the way that asana has been centered, um, in the West. Right. And so I think we really wanted to clarify, we want to create a little bit of space between gross anatomy and subtle anatomy so that we could start to create a little bit of space between, um, or a little better definition in the marketplace between asana and the many other lens, this was one way that we thought could kind of help guide that um, clarification. In addition, because of what you rightly pointed to before, which is that you know the programs were called 200 hours, but I think you know not all of them were coming fully up to the 200 hours of instruction. There was also space um, in the number of hours for us to to increase requirements where we were hearing that. You know there was a lot of concern in the community about whether or not students were learning what they needed to learn, and when you you know one of the things as I mentioned that we were really hoping would come out of this process is that the credential would be perceived and understood as a marker of safety um, you know this is again where we start to draw the line between what is taught and and how programs are structured we didn't think it was appropriate for us to prescribe, you know, what is the content of your gross anatomy course. Um, but we've definitely heard that there was a lot of concern about whether or not students were getting enough instruction and felt that it was appropriate for us to, you know, sort of play a role there and just identifying a place where people could spend a little bit more time.
0: Okay. Two things from that. One is going back to the, f- the first part of the comment about wanting to separate asana. I'm confused. I, I love anatomy. I'm not a critic of including more rigorous anatomy standards, but I don't understand how increasing the anatomy requirement de-centers asana. That, I, I'm, I'm not following
1: that thread. Two separate things. So separating the subtle body from the gross anatomy conversation was, was speaking to that concern. Right. And so making clear that there is a piece of there's a piece of gross anatomy that teachers should learn because asana is centered. Right. That's sort of the that's the the asana specific con- uh, solution, for lack of a better word. Separately, um, one of the things that we heard was this really significant concern about asana being centered. And so one of the things that we tried to do within the standards to just make more space um, for all of the other limbs is make more space <laughs> for them, right? So to, to sort of you know, separate gross and subtle anatomy.
0: Okay, and have the requirements or the expectations around pranayama, have those increased?
1: You know, honestly, and this is where we get into the the very specific details and the volume of them, I would need to look at the specific hours and compare them to what they were before. Um, So I can follow up with you on the accurate answer to that question, but I don't want to pull out my PDF of before and after.
0: (laughs) And the other piece is accuracy of anatomy instruction. Mm -hmm. I've heard a lot of people who go through yoga teacher training, and if they do have some prior anatomy experience, that they're a bit appalled by the inaccuracy of what's being taught. And I don't see in these standards any kind of requirement for people teaching anatomy to have an actual anatomy background.
1: (laughs) We, yeah, that's fair. That is, my hope is that what we announced on Tuesday is obviously a lot of changes. And so I don't want to say this and suggest that there are tons and tons and tons more changes to come tomorrow. That's not the case. Um, But one of the things that we were trying to solve for in the whole process was the fact that the standards hadn't been updated in a very long time. So our intention is that this is, we've announced a lot of changes. Um, we'll implement those changes. We'll work with the community to make sure that it's not completely disruptive. And also, we will now, from this point forward, review the standards on an ongoing basis. so we don't end up in this pro- in the same spot again um, in you know five or ten years where they just don't seem to have kept up. So in that future work, I do think that you know the the specifics of anatomy is a place that we will look more. We didn't think that given where we were starting from, that being more prescriptive in that space right now was helpful or appropriate. I'm not necessarily saying we will be more prescriptive in the future, um, but we will continue to look at it going forward and decide if something's changed where we think it's necessary.
0: What does it mean to continue evaluating on an ongoing basis going forward?
1: I would say a couple of things. So we didn't have, when I arrived almost two years ago, we did not have a person or a group of people whose job it was to continually look at the standards and make sure that they were keeping pace with changes in the way yoga was being taught and practice. We do now. Um, and so a little bit of, you know, my answer to you in this moment is we'll figure that out <laughs> now that we have it. Um, what I feel confident in is that the process that we put in place to get from the beginning of the standards review to the end is one that I think worked well and that we'll continue to use. And so, in particular, that is continual community feedback and engagement, and also convening groups of, you know, sort of small working groups of experts, both from within yoga and from outside of yoga around particular topics that are bubbling up as either of interest or of concern. And so, two pieces to that. One is that we now have someone whose responsibility it is to, to be paying attention to the evolution of the industry and the practice and the teaching. And to flag for us, you know, let's we'll use a very um, tangible contemporary example. Two years ago, you know, yoga delivered through a device in your home you know, on your wall in some sort of live way, didn't exist. And so, you know, I think it would be incumbent upon the person in this job to say, oh, by the way, the nature of online teaching is changing a lot. We should probably take a look at that. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, that's a great example of something that I think once we've gotten through the implementation of this, um, you know, we would convene a group of experts around um, and get their input and expertise, and also try to connect with the community and find out, you know, what are you seeing? What are you thinking? How are you feeling? And see if there is something we need to be doing to update the standards to reflect that.
0: This whole process has been, I'm hearing you say that it was really successful, but it sounds also rather cumbersome to this whole thing of solicit feedback, get, do surveys, convene working groups, Now there's new groups to evaluate the the results from the other groups, and now we need to make decisions. Is it even realistic to keep doing that?
1: Uh, Thank you for (laughs) Um, It certainly wouldn't be realistic to keep doing it at the scale that we just did, which is one of the reasons we want to keep doing it on an ongoing basis going forward. Like, you know, one of the things that I sort of jokingly said to the team about halfway through the standards process but i'm not really joking about was i don't want to have to do this again you know this this was to your point a massive undertaking um and was incredibly interesting and we learned a lot and we had a lot of really wonderful thoughtful interesting conversations um but you know i think we are better we a better use of Yoga Alliance's resources is actually to support the teachers, not to be, you know, sort of reviewing its own work and processes in that way every, you know, X number of years. Um, So I think it's actually, you're exactly right. It, it wouldn't be scalable. It wouldn't be something that we could continue on an ongoing basis. But my hope is that in, in doing it on a much smaller scale as, You know, we identify changes and evolutions in the space that we can prevent ourselves from having to do it again in quite the same way.
0: Right. But everybody and every organization has blind spots. So, certainly, you know, even if you have one person who's in charge of this, it seems like there would need to be some sort of regular process for going through the whole thing on a regular basis. not necessarily this whole process that you've just undertaken, but just looking through it and making sure and seeing what has fallen through the cracks.
1: Totally agree. And we, we will have to do that kind of review. You know, my, my sense is every year would probably be overly um, intensive, but you know, every couple of years, every two or three or four years is probably the right cadence. And we will figure out what a much Smaller, you know, much more condensed version of that is, um, but I think you know to your point about blind spots, that is one of the reasons that having this be a community-based exercise um, is important to us, right? I don't want us to. I think it's fair to say return to the the sort of position where you know there are a bunch of people sitting in an office in Arlington, Virginia, deciding what is and isn't important. Um, on their own, right? And so I think, you know, one of the, the, yes, that sort of convening and working with groups and getting input and all of that is time consuming, but I think it's really important for us to to do that work so that we're not really only listening to ourselves.
0: (laughs) If you look around the internet, you will see that the Yoga Alliance has some very vocal, passionate critics, is there anything that you learned from these critics? Do they have a point? What points do they have that you think are valid?
1: A couple of thoughts. One, actually, we didn't see a ton of the really vocal critics, certainly critiques and people who had, you know, constructive criticism and a lot of that, <laughs> appropriately. Um, but we didn't really live hear from a lot of people who are, you know, who have staked out a more, Um, you know, intensely critical position in the town halls and and really in the process. Um, I wish we had, honestly, um, because we would have loved to engage with them. Um, There were a couple of instances where that was the case. And, you know, this is sort of a weird and awkward thing for me to convey because I don't think I'm the best messenger for it. But, you know, for example, I led a town hall with about 50 people um, in, in a southern city, where there was one really vocal critic who, you know, um, made his views known and very strongly, and the room just wasn't interested. Um, And, you know, that, again, like, that's a weird thing for me to say, because it's, I think, not particularly believable, Um, but that was the experience that, that I had in that moment. It's not that they didn't have lots of critiques of, you know, our history and our work, it's that the room the group of people who were gathered there were more interested in focusing on you know kind of what are some solutions rather than just being critical um and you know we we've tried in a lot of cases to to proactively reach out to some of the folks who who are most vocal online um and and just have not we've been met with um pretty notable silence um you know, I don't think that that will be the case forever. I'm kind of waiting for their uh, their assessment of the work that we've done to, to come. I'm sure it will. Um, and we'll deal with that when, when it does. Um, you know, I think, I guess what I would say in sum, and to your, I think, last point and question is, I think that the, I, I don't want to speak for them, but I think that the genesis of their critiques and most of the critiques that we hear is really fair. Um, You know, Mm. I think that this organization wasn't always clear about what it was that it was trying to do and how it was trying to serve. Um, And in that lack of clarity and kind of obfuscation, I think it really, you know, I've looked back at the history and the paper trail enough to know that the most part, it was well-intentioned, perhaps just not well-executed, um, but it wasn't well-executed. And so I think, you know, the critiques are fair. I hope that the work that we've just done is a step toward speaking to them. Um, I know we're not going to please everybody, which is the nature of, you know, work that is challenging.
0: What is your understanding of the critiques?
1: There's a lot of them. <laughs> um, my sense is that there's a few. There are a few that seem to come through the really, um, the really critical space that seems to live online. The one that comes up most often is this idea that you know that Yoga Alliance is a is exists only to take in dollars um, and not to serve, and that in doing that, it it created the problem, quote unquote, of the meaningless 200-hour training. The history and the facts, you know, if you go back through kind of the, the facts of the history, don't bear that out. Um, the 200-hour, the, the, the kind of coalescing around 200-hour as a foundational level for teacher training was happening prior to Yoga Alliance, um, creating its credential. In some ways, that credential was created in response to what was happening. I think the critique of whether, you know, 200 hours is sufficient is totally fair. And one of the reasons that we approached the changes to the standards in the way that we did is to start to speak to that, right? I think that, am <laughs> chuckling because my answer to the money question gets unbelievably boring, unbelievably fast. Um, but the I think the real the real answer to the question around sort of you know yoga alliance just taking in money is that there was a very honest, very well-intentioned effort to was about five or six years ago now, and I believe that this is about when the critiques really kind of took hold. Um, you know, there was a real effort to to make our credentialing process more efficient. And that is the moment that I think this idea that, you know, we're just taking in the money and not offering anything really seems to have, um, to have gotten its legs. What I would say to that is, you know, it was well-intentioned. I don't think it really worked very well. And that's what we're trying to change right now. And so I hope that the people who feel that way and feel that strongly will take a look at the work we've done and and offer us you know, some critical feedback that is constructive. Um, And I hope that they can hear that really we're trying to, we're trying to serve well.
0: (laughs) So if there are Yoga Alliance critics who are willing to share their feedback, what's the best way for them to reach out? How, who do they talk to?
1: Um, They are welcome to call our member services, um, our mainline member services team is actually keeping extended hours for this couple of weeks around the announcement because we know that there are likely to be people with not only questions about the implementation but also additional feedback that we'd like to share. In addition, anyone is welcome at any time to email the email address that we set up for this purpose for this project, which is long, but (laughs) I want to help ya at yogaalliance.org. That is monitored on a daily basis and we read every single email that comes in and respond to as many as we can.
0: Is there anything else that you want to share with yoga teachers about the new standards or about Yoga Alliance before we wrap up?
1: I think you've covered much of what it is that I'm, I'm hoping we're able to to share. I'd just like to say thank you. I think yoga teachers really do some pretty amazing work. And I hope that the work we've done is in service to and honors that. And if um, if they've got any suggestions, we'd love to hear them. Thanks,
0: Shannon. I appreciate you taking the time. I know that it's things have got to be kind of intense there right now.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for thanks for your time. I really appreciate it and and I hope um I hope that people will share their feedback. Thank you.
0: So many threads to this conversation. It definitely isn't over. If you made it to the end, thank you for listening. I hope we can continue with more guests and also on the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group. If you're not yet a member, you can join by going to teachingyoga.net slash join. If you enjoy and find value from these podcast episodes, I would really appreciate if you would help spread the word. Tell your yoga teacher friends and leave a review on iTunes if you're able. I also love feedback, questions, and requests from listeners. You can reach me directly via email at helloyogateacher@gmail.com. at gmail.com. As always, no matter what else is happening in the yoga world and in your life, I hope you'll make time for your personal practice.